0: Sans Pants Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network. Welcome to another episode of Total Reboot My name is Alexi Toliopoulos And joining me as always on the only podcast on the freaking internet about movies is Cameron James G'day,
1: um, which is an Australian slang It's mm-hmm. actually a portmanteau yes. of good and day Yes, often people back in the old days would go up to you and say, Good day, mate. And you'd say, I don't have time. It's exhausting out here. I've got to, like, have mites and throw shrimp on the Barbie and muster some <laughs> sheep and stuff like that.
0: I'm a shearer lifestyle. Yeah. Shear off a couple of seconds of my life and I'm fucking, okay, it's called Good Day now.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. We-
0: Hooroo! <laughs> We're using Australianisms on this episode because we're doing a mini-series called Australian Psycho. What's it all about, Cammy?
1: Australian Psycho is an investigation into this particular type of Australian film which Mm. seems to either glorify or condemn... Violence, menace and,
0: well, psychoness Mm, Psychos in Australian art and culture
1: Yeah, it's something that we've both been fascinated with for a long time uh, For negative and positive reasons Mm -hmm. And we're trying to get to the core of why that Mm. is Last week we looked at a great film called um, Animal Kingdom
0: Yeah, great film, modern classic of Australian cinema A
1: modern classic which is all about Melbourne crime lords And armed robbery and it stars an Oscar nominee and a guy who plays, which we must now get right, mm-hmm. a...
0: Um, a scroll, A
1: scroll in the Marvel Universe, as opposed to I a Crell. I think I'm right. Krell.
0: I called it a freaking Krell, yep. okay?
1: So this is our way of just saying, mm-hmm. hey guys, we know we made
0: a mistake. We know we made a mistake, okay? Okay. It's a Krell that he plays. No, a scroll. A scroll. Jesus. Someone strike me down and kill me, okay? Get it
1: into your thick scroll, okay?
0: <laughs> I gotta open up my scroll. The guy plays a scroll, but the enemies of the scroll are the Cree in so the Marvel. We universe. can understand why you made them. Yes, yeah, so you can understand why I call them a Krell, okay? It's the same freaking thing. I'm in <laughs> a portmanteau, I'm an Aussie, it's what we do in this world. <laughs>
1: Animal Kingdom is great If you haven't Mm -hmm. watched it yet We highly recommend it This time around We've gone for I guess You have to call it A classic
0: Absolutely
1: Like a genuine classic, not mm-hmm. a modern classic, mm-hmm. not a cult classic.
0: No. Although
1: there was a time when it was.
0: And it has become one of the genuine classics of Australian cinema.
1: Tell us about this flickeroonie.
0: This is a movie called Wake in Frights. Wake uh, in Fright. It is from 1971, directed by Ted Kotcheff, who is a Canadian filmmaker. Um, and it was a film that was responsible alongside Walkabout with kicking off the Australian new wave, mm. this renaissance in Australian film that started in the 1970s. And it starts by two foreign filmmakers. Um, Nicholas Rowe, who made Walkabout, um, is a UK filmmaker. And of course, Todd, Ted Ketch... Ted Ketch... Ke, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I can't say his name! <laughs> and Ted Kotcheff is, of course, Canadian. Yeah. Um, and from their kind of reinvigorated... Stories being told in Australia with, like, government help as well in funding and film school opening up in Australia, with the Australian Film Television Radio School opening up. It kind of invigorated what was happening in film this country. And this film screened at Cannes uh, and alongside Walkabout as well as, like, Australia's entry into Cannes. And since then, it is the one of only two films to ever play at Cannes twice.
1: Oh, real! Oh, because of the re-release. Because of the later.
0: re-release. The other film is Antonioni's L'Aventura.
1: Okay. Hey, let's let's talk about the reason it got play. It got screened twice at Cannes. Now, mm-hmm. I'll, I want to put this out there on the record. First of all, uh, I watched this yesterday. This is my first time watching Wake and Fright, mm. which is almost sacrilege to say as an Australian film fan because it's the one. It's,
0: it's the one.
1: It's the one people say if you. If, if you are talking about Australian films This one and Mad Max Are usually the mm. two that people talk about um, And walk
0: about <laughs> Yeah And it's kind of because It was this lost film for a long time yeah. uh, It was So what
1: happened? Because we, we actually touched on this a little bit on uh, In Finding Desperado mm. But can you tell me a little bit more about that?
0: Well I think because it was such a controversial film It did not become a hit in Australia Audiences weren't drawn to it In fact they were kind of repulsed by it mm. uh, It was a very controversial film Film. one of its only champions was uh, the legendary Bill Collins who's someone that you and I look up to a mm. lot who is like Australia's biggest film nerd ever he yep. was like this beautiful guy with glasses wearing a suit and he would just introduce <laughs> movies on TV <laughs> that's
1: so funny you describe what he wore <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's him he wore glasses and a suit that's like what he's known as <laughs> yeah. but he's known as like the ultimate nerd of a film history sure. in Australia and he would present movies on TV he's a beloved like figure in this country yep. Um, and he was a big champion of this film he Presented it once on TV in the 1980s So basically between 2009 and 1971 There was only one time that it was ever screened anywhere Fucking Like hell. at all So it was on TV in the 1980s And he said that he got more complaints than anything else He had ever presented in on TV in the history of his long ass career
1: That's crazy
0: He More complaints than anything ever and so it kind of just disappeared. It just disappeared from be- like the collective consciousness that was Australian film. I think especially after we've got that reinvigoration that comes just after it, where it's Australian filmmakers making Australian films. They felt more. I think uh, the public felt more comfortable, like really grabbing onto those and celebrating them as like what our cultural heritage was, mm. uh, because they were. Yes, they may have been gritty, but they were less of an outsider's perspective on what Australia was. And then it kind of disappears Then uh, They find like one copy of it In Australia And it's screened for like the Directors Guild here But it was very poor condition Very scratchy Mm. The colour was all still there Colour looked great
1: So I read that it was like In such a shitty Mm. state That it was deemed not worthy Or not possible to even be transferred to VHS or DVD or anything like that. Anything at all. Like, even dialogue was missing. Like, it was just, hey, this is just it. We just have this one shitty film print of it.
0: Yeah. Then an editor of the movie worked with some people trying to track down the film. All remaining prints in Australia were known about when such bad condition, beyond restoration and beyond screening. Then they found all these reels in rusted containers in Pittsburgh. They were marked under the foreign title for this film called Outback. And they they found them quite literally like less than a week before they were scheduled to be destroyed. Oh my god! And so the print that they found, they kind of thought it was going to be bad because in this these rusty containers, as soon as they opened it up, they're like, "This looks freaking great." (laughs) And they brought it back to Australia. Like it took them a year or two to get them all back. Mm. And then, when they, then the National Film and Sound Archive in Australia, in Canberra, restored this movie very lovingly. A lot of work went into restoring this film. And it got a release in 2009. A director was on the board of Khan who was choosing some Khan classics to bring back. And this director saw this at the original screening at Cannes in 1971. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ted Kotcheff was sitting behind him. He's like, who's this guy who's like losing his mind, watching this movie going like, this is crazy. It's like, he's going all the way. The guy's like, the director's screaming, like, this guy's going all the way, it's amazing. Then he went and found out it was young Martin Scorsese who'd made like one or two movies before then. Marty loved it. He loved it. Marty loved it. Just like Chris Moltisanti loved Kundun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Marty, like if he saw Ted Kotcheff from mm-hmm. like a club, he would have been like, hey, Ted, Wake in Fright. I loved him.
0: <laughs> He's like, all right, thanks. <laughs> and so then he used uh, his power as like someone who was selecting some classic films to be screened at Cannes that year, hearing about this restoration and brought it back to Cannes. So that's why it's one of the only two films to screen there twice. That's so
1: good, man. I, I mean, I've, it's one of those films that I've been hearing about since I really became literate in Australian film, but I'd always heard about it in this, like, like it was, I think I had a different image for it in my head for what it actually is. Way scarier, like a horror film. I think people would always be like, oh man, Waking Friday is fucked up. Yeah. It's disturbing. Like it's controversial. There's parts of it that are still, you know, like there's a disclaimer at the end of the movie and stuff like that. Um, so I am a title scary, Wake in Fright. So I guess I just I maybe held it at arm's length or avoided it because I thought it was going to be like, a, like an exploitation-y, exploitationy, y kind of horror movie. Um, probably the same reason I never watched Deliverance until like a year ago as well. I just had an image in my head of what it was going to be. Because
0: it's known as one of the like the truly disturbing... You're going to see something that's going to change your bodily fucking fluids watching and, this um,
1: movie. And I, I reckon it probably... Earns that mm. um, reputation, but contextually, mm. I think by today's standards, it's not. It's not fucked up. Mm. It won't change your neurochemistry yeah. or whatever. But I think if you're watching it in 1971, you'd be like, "This is fucking wild."
0: Especially like when you think about Australian film before 1971. Mm literally I can name two movies and they're both by Michael Powell who like moved after mm. like being exiled from like Hollywood and English film he made There a Weird Mob which is like a Mediterranean migrant comedy here yeah. and then he made one called The Age of Consent with James Mason Falling in love with a young Helen Mirren. Good Lord,
1: (laughs) enough of that.
0: That was like right before this and they're kind of like, I couldn't really tell you much about Australian film before then. It's like maybe Jeddah, like Chauvel's films and stuff like that. And then maybe like the Ned Kelly, the story of the Kelly gang, the first picture ever made, Mm. the first feature length film is Australian. But I would say that we didn't really switch on as an artistic force in film until this decade. Yeah, Coming from this film
1: Uh, Well, I'll tell you how I felt about it Um, But I guess we want to dive into it first But I just want to say the one thing Mm -hmm. That I think is worth knowing before we talk about it Is allegedly at early screenings of this film Australian audiences reacted very badly towards Mm. it They were offended And the big mythical story is that at one of them Someone stood up and yelled out That's not us Mm. And Jack Thompson who's in the film Stood up and yelled back at him that is a sit-down cunt or something like that. <laughs> so, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe there's it's a controversial one as far as Australian identity is concerned. And uh, the reason that we picked it for Australian Psycho, mm. which I think is interesting, is that normally these films are about one or two charismatic, violent, mm. uh, aggressive people.
0: Dangerous dudes, dirty blokes, something like that. <laughs>
1: this one's like... <laughs> it's like...
0: Australia
1: is the psycho and there's one fish out of water within it.
0: I think that's what's fascinating about this movie and, like, really why it works is... I read like a lot up on Ted Kotcheff, who is the director of this film, and I found this great interview with him. It's him talking about making this film, why he wanted to make it, and I, I just I really fall in love with this guy because he's so smart with this <laughs> and that. It's not us; is going to come up a lot, I think. But Ted Kotcheff is a, from a Bulgarian family that migrated to Canada, and he never felt that sense of belonging in Canada. He always mm. felt like an outsider. A man from Mars is like how he described himself. He could see like the idiosyncrasies that uh, were in like the Canadian world and like this colonial world around him because he was that outsider. And I think that's kind of like what his mission statement is with this film and like with bringing this film to life. And I think that's a very Australian feeling, you know, mm. to feel othered, especially yeah. othered by like the colonial colonialism around him and mm-hmm. stuff. And that it's not us comes up a lot. He talks about it as well. He says, It's not us. You've come here to rubbish us. He says, This is a movie about men and men behaving badly. And he says that men kill seals in Canada, men wiped out the buffalo and killed the Native Americans. Men have behaved badly. I'm a director. I don't come here to criticise human beings. I came here to observe them and to empathise with them because I'm capable of anything. I'm capable of behaving badly and Chekhov has this great line. I'm not the judge of my characters. I'm their best witness and that's what I do. Love that. So isn't he like just like so well versed like putting that it's to also the screen?
1: Something that I often have a problem with with a lot of people's films is that they feel like they are judging the characters in their own film. I kind of hate that. I love the idea of the director or the writer as a witness or a passive observer who just goes look at this let's not judge it let's just like observe it um, that's really interesting and that's a good way to go into this movie as well yeah. shall we let's do it
0: in northern Australia there are five thousand square
1: miles of sand scrub and searing heat
0: a desolate primitive place that can take a man And destroy. They call it the Outback. Rated R. Wake in Fright from 1971. Cameron, you found a logline for us. A little segment that we love to call, Love That Logline. I do love that
1: logline. They're they're all quite long, Mm -hmm. but uh, I picked one from a wonderful website called Mm RottenTomatoes.com, which if you haven't visited, check it out. It's got a beautiful snow-white background. It's... (laughs) Punctuated <laughs> by blood red lines That cut across wow. it in bold black print God, it truly represents <laughs> cinema in the most visceral way You're absolutely going to love this website mm. uh, By the way, it's got a very good t- uh, score on the Tomatometer
0: Okay, what does the Tomatometer say to this The Tomatometer
1: movie? Uh, has it rated at 96%
0: Oh my God, flip those around and I'm having a real good time
1: <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Wake in Fright After finishing up the school term in a remote outback town, teacher John Grant looks forward to spending his holiday with his beautiful girlfriend in Sydney. But John gets waylaid in a mining town where a gambling spree leaves him completely broke. He quickly falls in with the hard drinking locals who constantly ply him with alcohol and force him to participate in a gruesome kangaroo hunt. Disgusted, John tries to hitchhike out of town and when that fails, Begins to contemplate suicide. Wow, that's three acts of a movie. Right that's there. the whole movie, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's the whole movie
0: minus every detail yeah, of it. All. Yeah,
1: and any final character. Yeah. Interesting stuff, man. I didn't know what was going to happen in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I knew the poster. I knew people said it was disturbing. I knew alcohol mm.
0: was the main villain in it. And I kind of thought you thought it was going to be a sausage parties type movie where there was like a <laughs> bottle of beer that was the bad guy. I just kind of thought, "Oh,
1: I I know what this is going to be, you mm. know, it's going to be one of those really unsubtle stories where I come away from it and I'm supposed to feel like, "Wow, alcohol truly is the devil. Mm. You take a drink from the bottle, but the bottle takes a drink from you." Mm. First the first you take a drink, then the drink takes a man. Yeah. To quote Alcoholics Anonymous, which (laughs) I've never been a part of, but I've seen in movies. So I kind of was like, oh yeah, I get it, I get it. And it is that to a degree, like it is pretty unsubtle. It hits you over the head Mm -hmm. with its themes, but um, I found every single moment of this movie, like... Brimming with charisma mm. and I didn't I couldn't care less. I was like, Yeah, fuck yeah. Hit me hit me over the head again, yeah. baby.
0: I'm loving this shit. It's absolutely a compelling film, right? Yes. I it's- think Crackles It captures that idea Of a lost weekend Mm. Like that's something That's very cinematic There's a Billy Wilder film Called The Lost Weekend Which won best picture In the 1940s Mm -hmm. And it's like About someone That really goes On a bender Mm. And becomes Like an alcoholic And that's where we get Like you know those That classic cinematic trope Of someone walking Down the street But it's just like A black studio And you've just got Like the neon signs Kind of fading in And fading out So that's from that movie
1: Power's in Vegas.
0: Absolutely, that kind of thing. (laughs) So it's from that film where they're like hallucinations that he's having, like becoming like this binge drinker. And I think this movie is the for me the best version of that lost weekend sorry hangover sorry dude where's my car <laughs> i think wake and fright captures like that true feeling of embracing something that's fun as being an outsider which is like going for like this party just like relinquishing yourself to it but then completely falling down with it mm. falling down that like freaking wombat burrow if you will mm. uh, to go completely insane and feel your life unravel
1: it's interesting because structurally, it's almost like a sketch movie. Mm. Like, it's just this guy is on a bender yeah, and he meets different characters and crazy shit happens to him and it escalates.
0: He keeps getting passed off onto keeps different things. Keeps getting passed off to
1: different groups, different scenarios. It's almost like, yeah, like a series of sketches, but instead of uh, the comedy escalating, it's like the horror or the disgust. Mm. I think more than anything, I didn't feel like horror or like... Tension or mm. anxiety or whatever But my disgust grew more and more Throughout this film Absolutely And I think I guess that's the intention Is that um, Like Kochef and the writer Evan Jones Are saying like Oh and it's based on a book as well mm-hmm. We should say By Kenneth Cook um, That they're saying like This is like how vile men are When they're mm. kind of like alone And going crazy Yeah They're just fucking grot
0: Part of what this film talks about Is like These are not Bad people. These are people that behave badly.
1: Mm. But I can see why Australian audiences in 1970 would have been like, this is a, a criticism of us. Absolutely. This is not us. Because um, it, it would be offensive. It's almost like, remember when we were kids and The Simpsons did that episode where they come here mm-hmm. and all the Aussies are like fucking hillbilly redneck mutants who are like, get a cover, they have a kangaroo court and they. Kick butt in the ass And stuff I remember like Not getting it When I was a kid And being like What the fuck That's not us And then now You can look back at it And go Oh they're satirising The idea of Like Of like They're like The foreign Aussie Like the crazy Aussie And all that shit um, Arguably <laughs> That's what <laughs> they were doing but, um, but I feel like This movie is making A point too uh, And it would have been Lost at the time But it's only now That you can step back And go No it's I think more than anything, it's a satire of like how foreigners feel when they're in some in somewhere they don't feel like is home.
0: It's that outsider story. Yeah, the idea of what the
1: outback is, and yeah. like, and and locals. Mm. Like it's sent to me when I watched this movie. I kept thinking of both Deliverance mm-hmm. and The Wicker Man.
0: Very much I feel like this And The Wicker Man Can kind of like Be held together Yeah Uh, Especially when it comes To like that Weird horror Where it's like Kind of a horror But not exactly It's more tonal Or cultural horror And especially like That it's A lot of it Is a daylight horror Like this film lives in both like night and day because there's parts of the extremely nocturnal where you're like, oh, no one should be up anymore. Like this should be, this is sleep time. No one should be around. See like
1: the glowing of lights and kangaroos' eyes and shit. Like that's that's
0: night. True terror as Mm. well. And then the rest is like in this really like just the color of this film when it represents like the kind of like dryness the aridness of Australia mm. where everything is orange and T- ted said that there's like no he said I don't want any blues I don't want any grays I don't want any greens I only want orange burnt sienna rust those kind of like pale colors that like can be burnt through with like big brightness mm. and you can see that everywhere like All the scenes during the day, even though the sky is, like, blue and it juxtaposes with, like, the red aridness of the desert, it still looks tinged orange. Mm. And, like, all his clothes are, like, covered in the orange dust. Oh, yeah, he's
1: wearing that beige suit for the whole movie. Mm. I read that uh, they shipped in red dirt. They filmed it in Broken Hill and they Mm -hmm. added more red
0: dirt to the set. And they also, like, made talcum powder, like, red and orange, like, put on everything as well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the tricks of the trade do you
1: think it's uh like do you think it's offensive towards australians or at least a cri- a white australians i mean like is it no
0: you don't i think it's a valid critique of like australian culture because mm-hmm. i think that you know australian culture and i think it's highlighted very well in this film because you know we are quote a young country but colonial australia is a young country yeah this is a very very old country and so i think that so much of the identity of colonial australia is built through this false sense of mateship Mm. that is inherently about violence yeah yeah and clamoring for
1: a ritual like Mm -hmm. i think it's just something it's almost something that new friendship groups too where they're like Clamouring for an in-joke Something that unites us Something that makes us feel like we have history Our our country since colonial times Has done exactly that Mm. No, we're the country that does this We have barbecues And we like We have mateship We drink at the pub We stop to listen to the last post Mm And shit like that
0: And we're underdogs Like we're an underdog country Yeah I think that Australia at this time we would have had such a different view of what Australia was then as Australians. I think they thought that people back then would have thought that we talked like that ABC accent that you hear like when you watch old TV clips from like the 50s and 60s. Oh, "Oh, hello, we've got the Australians here. Aren't they having a great time? A British sort of sounding Mm. Australian accent. I think to hear people talking like this, like really having that thick dirty, grubby, dirty dog Australian accent of like oh yeah, here he you go, like that where like no one uses any consonants in their words. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah Oh got yeah boy, Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah a yabba. <laughs> 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 Come on Right I'm Yeah Oh yeah You'll throw the froth of that one, mate <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> just like I think that's yeah. like what they thought they were, and, and then like, to see especially this reflection. An audience
1: that go to films in the nineteen mm-hmm. seventies in Australia—they're not like it's not like us going to a fucking multiplex yeah. and being like, "Oh, check out the new whatever the fuck." It's like it's an upper class pursuit. Mm-hmm. So they are ABC listeners and viewers, and they would have just been like wearing their Sunday finest mm. and going to the movies, and then being like, "What the fuck?"
0: Yeah. This is rude. That's not what we're like. I think that's so it, right? And especially, like, there's one sequence that I, weirdly, I didn't remember from the few times I've seen this movie Mm. before that really struck me so hard this time. It's when um, our lead character, played by Gary Bond, is with Chips Rafferty, who's an Australian actor, playing, like, a cop sergeant, Jock, who's taking him around. Jock's the character's name. He's not a football player. He's actually quite a fat old man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, he's like showing him around at the RSL, and then at like midnight or something, <laughs> the lights switch off, and then all these spotlights point to like this Anzac plaque, which is like the Australian New Zealand like Returned Servicemen's yep. Army Corps. And so it's um, and, and they do a minute of silence mm-hmm. in this movie or a moment of silence. Where everyone stops, faces it, and they like do a remembrance or lest we forget. Of to honor the troops and that's a very australian thing where our identity is like tied up in this anzac pride we
1: will not forget them you know it's like they died for us they fought for us Mm. and it's you know pretty valid um of course but but it's also like incredibly deeply ironic to mm. have that moment silence and uh reflection in the middle of What is an RSL for our international listeners is a cross between a pub and a casino, essentially. Like it's serving nonstop alcohol. There's pokey machines, gambling Mm -hmm. going on. As soon as that minute silence stops, everyone goes right back to their beers and their pokey machines.
0: People literally stop and they're standing at the pokies and as soon as it finishes, they all start pulling the levers again. I think
1: that moment is the moment that makes me go, I'm watching a satire. Mm. Like that's a cultural satire of like, look at this country that believes that they're so moral and upright, but at the same time, they're just literally pausing for a minute with their drinks in their hands and then going mm. straight back to like these carnal sins yeah. that they wanted to do.
0: And so much of like the Australian identity swept up in that ANZAC image of like, you know, Gallipoli, which was a battle that and New Zealand fought in in Turkey. And they were basically set up by the U- by the UK into an ambush mm. uh, where they were slaughtered. Yeah. And I think that's so much of our national identities put into this one... Extremely vile and violent moments, mm. and like that is what the N- Anzac spirit is like. This national identity thing. I think it's a satire of all that to like just be like, this is your national identity, and then straight away you're just doing what you do, which is suck down beers, yeah, and p- gamble and like smoke dories inside this dingy little room.
1: Yeah, I love that moment. It's that, to me the moment, the, the moment of the I film. decided I was really enjoying watching the mm. film because at first I wasn't entirely sure if I even. You know, if I even enjoyed Gary Bond's performance, mm. you know? It took it took 10, 15 minutes for me to click onto that. Yeah. Because Gary Bond, I don't know him. Like, what do I know him from?
0: He's only made three movies, but he's a prolific stage actor okay. from England. He was the original Joseph in Joseph's Technicolor Dreamcoat. Sure, Co-. so sure. So okay. he's like a big, big deal stage actor. And do you know who the original choice was to play this character? Nope. Mr. Michael York. Okay, yeah. Well, you know
1: what? They're not too far apart from each other. They're both like quite beautiful, effeminate-looking men. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, Michael York, if you don't know, is Basil Exposition, and mm-hmm. it's crazy if that's all you know him from. And I'm calling him beautiful, then yeah. you're probably like, "What?" But I'll just say, <laughs> watch Cabaret.
0: Watch uh, Romeo and Juliet, Franco Zaffarelli's. But it's
1: like it, he talks in that really theatery British, mm. you know, like Royal Academy of Drama sort of way, where it's like. Oh, hello there, mate Mm. I'd love a beer
0: I think he's the perfect outsider
1: Well, I think it took 10-15 minutes for me to click onto that Because at first I thought Why am I watching this stilted wooden Mm. Like, Toast of London type character Mm. It's like a Matt Berry character Like, ah, yes, I'm a teacher I'm a teacher (laughs) in the outback (laughs) And I hate it here Mm. But then you start to realise Oh, like, all the Aussies fucking hate this guy Because he Mm. represents like the brits and yeah. we like we hate the brits because mm. they think they're too good for us they kicked mm-hmm. us out here like convicts and they they they're the colonizers where the rejects and all that mm. shit so it's it's like perfect to have him have this perfect plum toffee voice mm in contrast to everyone else who speaks as you describe, with no consonants at all. <laughs> yeah,
0: and he's also, he's very soft looking. Like he's got that beautiful, like Robert Redford, like blonde yep. hair. Mm. He's very tall and he's very slim. And he's always wearing like this nice, not nice, but just a suit. He's mm. dressed well. Whereas everyone, he's in complete contrast to everyone else. Like yep. you watch him during like the two up scenes, which are like, the, like everybody in there looks like a freaking spud. Like, they look insane. <laughs> like everyone looks like withering fruits because they look just so. They're all real people. They're all wearing like complete like clothes that are just to allow them to get by in the heat out there in Bundinjamba. Yeah. And then he is just someone that just looks completely out of place. It's like in Midnight Cowboy where you can just see John Voight walking down the street and he's like three foot taller than every <laughs> single other person. Yeah, he just sticks out. He's also just way better looking than everybody. Like, mm.
1: I, whenever I hear people describe <laughs> the way Australians look, people are always like, Yeah, he had like a real Australian head on him or whatever. And I'm <laughs> like, What does that mean? We're pretty good looking, aren't we? And then you look at this movie mm. and you're like, Oh, we do have a look that we? We, like, like. we, <laughs> <It's laughs> we look like. We look rough. Country full of
0: character actors yeah, <laughs> and pre- rugby players. Yeah,
1: country full of Tony Hazes. <laughs>
0: There's also one scene where I just loved his performance so much and it's during like the most heinous part of the movie, which is mm. this kangaroo shoot, mm. um, where they go on a hunt to hunt yeah, kangaroos. Yeah, let's, let's
1: really dive into this. This mm-hmm. is the, uh, the most talked about controversial element of the film, I would say that there is a disclaimer at the end of the movie, mm. um, which tells you, you know, okay, so they go on, they go on this kangaroo shoot, which is, uh thing that happens in Mm. the country and in the outback
0: it was sanctioned especially back in the day
1: yeah uh, people would just drive around at night with rifles and Mm. shoot the shit out of kangaroos because they saw them as pests even though they are on the coat of arms and they're an iconic australian animal
0: and they're our native fauna as well yeah yeah um
1: this movie uses real footage from a real roo hunt yeah um that the crew went on mm. You see it, You see them get shot See them die mm. It's fucking confronting It's
0: very confronting It's
1: like in Apocalypse Now When you see that buffalo get mm. um, like Get slaughtered Slaughtered And that's That is really foul Yeah And vile And I guess it's making a point On like the brutality that You know This nation Has within it Yeah um, and especially white dudes, mm-hmm. like just driving around and carelessly slaughtering these things. But yeah, that's a really great performance moment for Gary Bond because it was actually there was a really wonderful moment. He is kind of bullied into killing a Joey kangaroo. Yeah. That's a very young kangaroo. And uh, I mean, I assume they use this uh, dummy for this mm. stabbing yeah. part. He stabs it and guts it. and everyone's cheering him on. Mm. And he cheers too, but his eyes look like he's about to burst into tears, that brilliant acting
0: that's the moment that's the moment that's it because there's a part as well when they're trying to go like go on mate go do it and he turns around and smiles at them then he turns back and faces the Joey his smile just breaks so realistically oh man
1: it's really wonderful performing in what is a very hard to watch sequence
0: Mm. and I found an interview with Ted Kotcheff about this scene and even this was contemporary to when the film was re-released in 2009 this interview and he almost well up talking about this sequence because he seems like a very caring and empathetic person and it seemed to have hurt him so much to have done this scene. And he kind of like, the only way that he could get it done was by going with people that were already going to kill kangaroos. Mm. So it was like, I'm not he endangering... can't stop them anyway. Can't stop them. I'm not endangering any life. And then the conversations that they had with him about it just tore him apart. they are like, how do you want us to do it? We can shoot them in the kidneys. We can shoot them in the heart. We can shoot them in the head. Mm. And then they would describe the different reactions that the kangaroos would have. He just said... Stop talking to me. I don't want you to do anything different. Uh, just do the best way that you normally do it. I don't want my input on any of this stuff. We're just going to film it documentary style. Like, whatever you get, that's what we're going to get. He's
1: vegetarian, it's worth noting as well. Yeah. So, this, I think this really is like his. You know documentary moment it's like when you see marty scorsese Mm. do those early films that are clearly reactions against vietnam yeah i feel like this is an equivalent of that this is a man just Mm. saying i have to document this brutality yeah i hate it it makes me sick too that's why it's in the movie
0: i mean that's what he talks about when he's saying like men behave badly men Mm. are capable of doing really inhumane things and i think that's what he's really capturing with this and what he captured as well was like as the footage goes on as the documentary is going on of them filming these men that night he starts noticing that they're missing and they start hitting them in the wrong places like not what they were saying he starts seeing the animals like suffering and dying and then he looks down and sees that they've been drinking like a bottle of whiskey all night long and they're getting drunker as it's going and he says like that's a lot of what the footage is in the film because that's what I need to capture Mm. uh, to show to represent like what this is really like fucking hell so i mean the guy's like a true empath but it's like it's hard to watch this stuff it's so brutal
1: it is really hard that's the one thing i've been told about the movie as well because mm. my wife watched it a year and a half ago or mm. something and she loved it but she was just like oh i found it very hard to mm. to deal with that part of the movie yeah and so i kind of was like god this is going to be gross but i think in context i um i i I get it. I like it. I think it's a, a crazy mm. choice. You feel the I, message though. I feel it, yeah. Yeah. I feel the message and I like can respect the artistry mm. of choosing to do it that way.
0: And I would even say like, compared to Apocalypse Now, I'm like, you could have left that out. It makes more
1: sense in this than mm-hmm. it does in Apocalypse Now because what's the message there? Like, oh, look, this... This is how this is, crazy these tribes are. Yeah, they're killing a cow. and we got to capture it on footage, it's
0: like doesn't really add to like everything. It's just saying like, oh, there's craziness going on. Yeah, Here it's like, this is the violence of man. This is like how inhumane humans can be. Yeah,
1: it did make me very sad. Um, let's talk about Donald Pleasance. Mm-hmm. Holy hell! I forget how much I love this actor every time I see him.
0: I know, right? But we talked it, about him in Halloween. Yeah. He plays the Doctor in Halloween. <laughs> uh-huh. He's the President in Escape from New York. Yeah. So he's done a lot of these big genre movies. But he's like a classical English actor.
1: Yep, he's he's Blofeld in the mm-hmm. Bond films. Mm-hmm. And I always forget he's in The Great Escape. I always forget how much I love him. And you know what I think it is? It's he's like he's like a classical actor. He's in the mold of all those Mm. old classic like silver screen dudes, theater dudes, but he is such a fucking ham. Yeah, he is like crazy. He's got crazy eyes. Mm -hmm. He's got that crazy skirted egg haircut. He like he's doing <laughs> <laughs> he's doing an Aussie accent, which yep. I can only imagine is like one of the main reasons he decided to do this mm. movie because he's like, oh yeah, what a weird accent I'm going to try it. Yeah, he does a great accent by the way. It's incredible. It's right? It's a really good accent.
0: It's so spot on and so specifically Australian.
1: Yeah, really specifically. It doesn't sound too ochre. Mm-hmm. It's really good, and he gets to spend most of this movie like falling into f- like increasing states of decrepitude Mm. and sweat and grimy shirtless for like 20 minutes of it and he's just like an alco like intellectual he's like the wild intellectual man that Mm. i reckon exists in every like town of australia where like i had a friend like this in newcastle who would like do dmt drink all the time and then just go on these long like rants about philosophy mm. and art and stuff and you'd always be like god this guy is so intelligent but yeah. he is a fucking slave to substances and like he absolutely like he'll never transcend it
0: And he's like the local despot really Like that's kind of all he is Like this philosopher Talking about Socrates and stuff
1: It's one of those dudes If he wasn't a drinker He would be like bullied in this town Mm. Because he's like a bit effeminate And too smart But he just drinks harder than everyone else So they love him
0: And I think he captures something very real Which is like the extroverted quality of an Australian. Mm. Like there's this thing that, you know, when you think about Americans, like in documentaries or reality shows, they're very extroverted. And I think there's a quality in Australia where a lot of them are very shy. They don't want the camera on them, but they're like natural performers and storytellers and mm. i think that is something they were able to capture with this where it almost feels like everything he's doing is like a pre-planned performance he's executed in his head before mm. and now he's showing off i think that's very spot on to like this nature of australians there's like this kind of hidden extrovertedness i cannot accept your premise socrates <laughs> Perfectibility, progress a vanity spawned by fear a vanity
1: spawned by fear. I just fucking love Donald Pleasance's eyes. Mm. Like, they're, they're wild. They, there's some real yeah. crazy drama energy in there that yeah. you don't see with many actors these days. There's this totally um, ego-free choice to mm. look insane on screen.
0: He's totally unleashed and totally <laughs> just, like living in this character in this really freeing and bizarre way. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting in this movie is like all the fights are real because they don't have stunt people. So Mm. it's all the actors fighting together. So it's him and like Jack Thompson and that other actor like having a three-way fight where he's like throwing chairs at them. That's all real stuff. There's one thing I want to say as well about Donald Pleasance. A couple of things actually. But one of them, a listener of our show, Jack, total reboot rat, giving him a big shout out here, sent me something very interesting. His father was an AD on this film. What? Back in the day. And one part... I'm going to read this verbatim. One part of the shoot was uh, this old man with two attractive daughters farm where they were shooting the actor Donald Pleasance was often seen by the crew flirting with the daughters and one day the old man who owned the farm approached who he thought was Pleasance and said you've been fucking with my daughters and punched him out and broke his jaw unbeknownst to him it was actually Donald Pleasance's stand-in for the movie (laughs) (laughs)
1: wait Pleasance was fucking some locals
0: who knows he could have been Jesus Christ he's an exciting actor from out of town (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the real magic of Donald Pleasance here is he's got this presence that is undeniable. He's got
1: a Donald presence. we <laughs> we got to say it.
0: Well, that's what they should say. It that's has said,
1: man. He's got a Donald presence about him.
0: And uh, he actually helped Jack Thompson become a screen actor uh, and build his presence. Because Jack Thompson, this is his first film ever. Right. And he's since become like the all-time australian film icon yeah like he is like the epitome of the australian male on screen yeah in a movie star way and um what he told him was f- b- just before a shot he just went over to him and he goes feed the camera jack hmm. and that's been like jack thompson's motto ever since then was feed the camera jack and he <laughs> wrote this beautiful obituary for uh donald pleasance when he Parted this earth When he left this mortal coil mm. um, Tragically Don Pleasance No longer with us He's been dead for a little while Yeah Tragically He's couple been decades. dead for a couple of while We lost him for a few whiles. He couldn't even be in H2O The Halloween sequel Yeah
1: Sorry Sorry to say He didn't get to Yuck it up with Josh Hartnett.
0: <laughs> tragically Don Pleasance And Josh Hartnett Never shared the screen <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't do it That one last time <laughs> But um, yeah, Jack Thompson talks about how Donald Pleasance like really trained him Hmm. in just like understanding like how to bring your presence and push it into the camera. The other two people that were lined up perhaps to play this character was Robert Helpman, the like Australian ballet dancer and ballet teacher. Mm -hmm. The other person was James Mason. James Mason, why, why why, him? I think that he could have done it. I mean, he's like a fantastic screen theatrical actor. Yeah, as I well. like James Mason. James Mason. Jay- <laughs> you never Jay- heard of him. James <laughs> It's me, James Mason. James Mason.
1: Buffalo Bill's name in Silence of the Lambs is James <laughs> Gorman. So maybe that's what I was thinking of. I like
0: James Gum. <laughs> I like James Gum. He could be in it, <laughs> but I think James Mason could have done it. But to me, no one can do it like fucking Donald Pleasance.
1: Yeah, I just fucking love him. I think he's so cool. Mm. Um, and on that thing that you were saying earlier about the fights, that's one of those. That's one of those little moments in the film that I think is very unsubtle, and mm. it, but I love it, and it's something that I think we've all had this commentary or observation mm. before about jocular male behavior, yeah. which is like. The way that men talk to each other, which is mildly aggressive, but mildly, mm. like, friendly. Like, that sort of, how are you, mate? Like, yeah. that kind of... Under- oh, I'm good, mate. Undertone of aggression. Yeah. It can either break out into fighting. It, it seems like sexual tension or, mm. like, aggression. Like, it could either be a fight one second or they could fuck. That's yeah. this, like, the subtext of all hyper-macho Australian interaction. Mm. This movie literalizes that yeah um in a way that i don't know how i feel about but Mm. i still enjoyed that it was happening which is you see friends like brawl Mm -hmm. and then you also have that sequence between donald pleasance and gary bond where they are play fighting and then it becomes i guess fucking yeah i mean it's kind of implied yeah is it i was trying to think about it later because there's a lot of arty cutaways Mm. so you don't quite know what's happened and i assume that's for censorship reasons but is it a rape scene is it a like consensual
0: homosexual lovemaking scene i think it is really complicated what what's happening in that scene and i think the way ted Kotcheff talks about it is interesting because he went to broken heel where this film is uh, made mm. um, and that is a town where at this time he took out the newspaper editor and the newspaper editor told him that there is th- three men to every one woman in this town and mm. he basically asked him like well you know ma- there must be like big brothel trade here then for all these like lonely men mm. said like no there isn't and he started observing that like the way that the men fight there, is not homosexual behavior but these are men that are longing to just be touched by someone else
1: Abs- i mean that's a, i feel like it's an observation everyone's made mm. i definitely have when you see guys like scuffle on the street mm. or i i remember seeing it a lot in newcastle when i was 18 and guys would fight but yeah. the fight was mainly just two dudes holding each other tight with it's their like mouths grabbing. right next to each other yeah and i was always like they're just just fucking kiss, like it was something everyone would yell at pubs mm. and stuff. It'd be like, oh, just kiss and yeah. stuff like that. And I mean, this movie really literalizes that, yeah, because that's a, it's a pretty sexual scene.
0: It's so confronting as well, right? Because like the place that Donald Pleasance lives in in this film, that mm. Doc lives in, is disgusting. There's like <laughs> flies trapped in fly paper and stuff. It's just so dirty and mm. grimy. The floor's disgusting. Uh, Tkachoff even said that like he just released a hundred flies into the sea. <laughs> <laughs> he got a hundred sterilized fly- flies from Sydney University and just unleashed them. That makes me sick. Disgusting I fucking stuff. hate flies. <laughs> They're so gross. That's the one animal I could lose
1: without. <laughs> you know, like if we... I don't condone violence against animals. Mm. Definitely not kangaroos or joeys. But if they... Spent 20 minutes of this movie Just swatting flies I'd be like Yeah
0: fine Get rid of them Eradicate them They're just driving around Shooting these (laughs) little flies around There was a
1: fly hunt
0: They've got big fly swats Gary Bond stabbing a fly With a bowie knife (laughs) Come on mate Kill him Kill him (laughs) He's gonna kill Louis the fly From the Mortine commercials I'd have no problem with that Yeah It's pretty full
1: on It's pretty full on So would you Do you classify it as like A rape scene Or just a Um like to like, I guess misplaced homosexual energy, or I think it's all some of it. sort
0: of erotic moment. I, I think it's. I don't think it's erotic. I don't think there's anything erotic about the moment. But I think that there's. I think it's a mix of all of that stuff. Mm. I think it's like it's just those feelings of male closeness that just go awry. Mm. Interesting. I don't know. What do you? How would you think of it?
1: I don't know. I'd um. I mean, my afterwards I was talking about it with Alex and she was describing it as a rape scene and mm. I was saying, I think you're misremembering it. Mm. I don't think it's... It looks like they both kind of want it. Like they're both yeah. sort of rolling around on top of each other and they're laughing and smiling and then the camera cuts away and then next thing we see is the morning after where he looks... Mm. Gary Bond's character looks embarrassed or mm. whatever. So I didn't. I didn't really classify it as a rape, I just thought it's like drunk dudes wrestling and then mm. getting horny and then fucking and then the next day being like ugh, shouldn't have done that I yeah. guess.
0: I think it's like the <laughs> the extreme violence of it all and like everything teetering on this building of binge drinking like mm. the guy's been drinking all day long Yeah, he's completely lost his mind, they've all lost their minds and I think that is like the kind of ultimate version of that where I think like Donald Pleasant's this is probably every day for him. Mm. The guy's like a bit of a sexual maniac in this movie. Yeah. I don't I think that he would be pansexual or something in this film. Yeah, I think so he too. He talks about like sex with like men and women in it. I think that this is just like his seduction of this man is yeah. to completely corrupt him.
1: Yeah. And um I I think it's the one part of the movie that maybe has aged the worst. Because mm. it's like gay panic essentially. It's yeah. like look, if you go out and drink you never know. You could end up fucking Donald
0: Pleasance. Okay. You could violently hook up with Donald Pleasance in the most disgusting room
1: <laughs> with a hundred <laughs> flies watching. That's one thousand 100- eyes.
0: A <laughs> hundred sterilized flies from Sydney Uni going to be looking at you while you're fucking Donald Pleasance. <laughs> Well it's safe to say That this is truly A bizarre classic film In Australian canon And I think it really Represents everything That we're talking about When it comes to this Miniseries of like Finding that national Identity through Violence and bigotry And Mm. celebrating and Condemning it Especially in this film I think this film is a True condemnation of All of this kind of Horrible toxic masculinity And it's energy
1: Yeah and I guess It kind of sums up Why we're drawn to These films and what This miniseries is all about mm. you know it's not us Is it us we don't know mm. um, And maybe that's Something more to explore with the coming films That we're going to be talking about Absolutely, is it us?
0: I think it's time for us to get into our categories Here today mm-hmm. first one I want To bring up is Director Ted Kotcheff. He uh, is a prolific workman Like director he's worked mm-hmm. on a lot Of films and series and stuff mm-hmm. I'm going to give you four films and you have to tell me Which one you think is a film Directed by Ted Kotcheff. <laughs>
1: Also he's like a he's like one of those dudes that's just made a bunch of different types of movies.
0: Yeah, so tell me which one you think is one of his. <laughs> okay. So first movie is First Blood, the Rambo movie, the classics of Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. The second movie is Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> The third movie is Fun with Dick and Jane, the original from the 1970s by George Segal,
1: not the one with Taylor Leone. Not Taylor
0: Leone, Carrey. Jim Carrey one. The original, the classic. Mm. And finally Law and Order SVU.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I have to guess which one is him.
0: Which one of those is his film?
1: I would if I was going to guess, I would say First Blood because I could picture that world of like mm. brutality and someone being in a, you know, community that isn't their own. So mm. I would guess Stallone First Blood.
0: Well, correct. Oh, hell yeah. But if you had answered any of the others, also correct. He made all of those he things. He makes Weekend at Bernie's? He directed Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> he directed <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's. What? It's one of his films.
1: Let me look this up.
0: He also directed Fun with Dick and Jane the original. And he's an executive <laughs> producer on the first 13 seasons <laughs> of Law and Order SVU. He directed many of the episodes. And he uh oh, what the fuck? he was the executive producer on two hundred and eighty five episodes of Law and Order SVU.
1: That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still, I'm sorry, but I'm still stuck on Weekend at Bernie's, yes, Andrew a McCarthy film <laughs>
0: Yeah, the film about a
1: two crazy kids who pretend that their boss is alive when actually he's a corpse mm-hmm. Just so they can party in his mansion Yeah A movie that I've seen, and yes, there is a sequence where a woman has sex with the corpse
0: Wow, that's so real That's
1: classic Ted Kotcheff shit right there
0: I would say, like, what he does. I mean, outside of the comedies, basically. But from Law & Order SVU, like, he kind of, like... He didn't direct the pilot, but I think he's responsible for a lot of the tone that that series hits. Okay. And same with First Blood. But I Mm. think what I would kind of identify with his like the commonality between these things is that there is like this realism and naturalism to these things, maybe realism more than naturalism, but they still exist in almost a fantasy realm where Mm. things are elevated in a certain way. It's almost like an elevated realism. Wow. I think that's what he captures.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I mean, I'm keen to watch more of his stuff. I've never seen Fun with Dick and Jane.
0: And I've never seen Weekend at Bernie's. And I've so. never
1: seen 139 episodes of Lauren and Audace for you.
0: Well, it's 285, and I think I have seen most
1: of them. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen probably most of them in my life. <laughs> All right, shall we move on to the Oscars?
0: Yes, let's give away some of those awards. We're giving away Oscars to Best Character Actor first. Mm. Mm. Okay. And there is someone that came to mind straight away for me in this film... It could be easy. It's undeniable to give Donald Pleasance an award for this. Yeah, we
1: could give it to Donald Pleasance. We could give it to Jack Thompson.
0: But Jack Thompson is a true movie star. Yeah, And it was his first film ever, which was Wake and Fright. Jack Thompson's first film. But it was also the last film for another actor called Chips Rafferty, mm. who I would love to give this award to him. Uh, Chips Rafferty was... Kind of a screen legend and maybe the early Australian screen icon before Jack Thompson, really, because he was an older actor that worked in Hollywood in like the 1940s and 50s and 60s. He made other movies such as The Overlanders, which is an Australian film, Mutiny on the Bounty, Mm. which has a big Australian connection, Bush Christmas, um, some other movies that were set in Australia, but also lots of films overseas. And to people like Jack Thompson, he was a bit of an idol because he kind of represented them on screen. It was Mm. almost tokenistic the way that Chips Rafferty was used. He's like this big surly guy, big, thick Aussie accent, and he plays the cop, the sergeant in this film. And um, I found this little piece of trivia. Director Ted Kotcheff recalled that Chips Rafferty, whose last film appearance this is, insisted on drinking real pints of beer during the bar sequences. <laughs> Kotcheff substituted non alcoholic beers for the real stuff, but Rafferty could tell immediately that they had a non alcoholic content <laughs> and demanded proper pints be served. He told him, you concentrate on the directing, I'll concentrate on the drinking.
1: Oh, that's classic character actor talk right there.
0: The director calculated that due to this, Rafferty was drinking up to 30 pints per day.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> Chips, no wonder he died shortly after
0: this. <laughs> he lost it.
1: By the way, if your name is Chips, you're mm-hmm. a character actor.
0: Absolutely.
1: If you get a nickname as your first name, like, sorry, if your name is Scoot McNary... <laughs> You're you're not a movie star ever. You're a character actor. If If your name is Bud Tingwell, (laughs) character actor.
0: Tragically, not a movie star, mate. Yeah. If
1: you get if you get given a nickname as your first name, Mm. that's that's you just have to cop it. That's who
0: you are forever. If you look at Chips Rafferty, the guy is born a character actor. Oh yeah. yeah, He's got a heck of a hunk of beef for a face. (laughs) (laughs) He's got barely any eyes. (laughs)
1: Yeah, his eyes are like two raisins sunken <laughs> into some porridge <laughs> But we love your chips We love your chips, we salute you mate He pass away, tragically the, And he was, he was called, quite affectionately, the living symbol of the typical Australian mm-hmm. I would say a title that has been passed on to Jack Thompson since Absolutely
0: man. And also, a little bit, you know, that's a little bit of rewriting history Because um, Jack Thompson, typical Australian, he's like one of the hottest men that's ever been filmed by a camera He's a
1: very good looking guy He's a very good-looking fellow. Yeah, he's gorgeous. Typical Beautiful. Aussie. Typical, Typical Aussie. <laughs>
0: all of us, we all hot. <laughs> we're all gorgeous surfy guys like that.
1: And we want to give another award, another Oscar out to... Uh, you know, it's something... It's, this is the only time I've ever seen this on screen. Mm. Have you ever seen it in a film?
0: To my knowledge, I don't think I have.
1: Okay, so we're. G- what should we call this Oscar?
0: Well, we- I think we're giving away things to things that are maybe uniquely Australian. Yeah,
1: very uniquely Aussie. So mm-hmm. this is... Uh, the Uniquely Aussie Moment Award, um, that goes to the game of 2-Up. For anyone who doesn't know what 2-Up is, picture uh, the game heads or tails, you're halfway there. <laughs>
0: now add another coin.
1: You're there. You're all the way there. You're all the way there. 2-Up is heads or tails with two coins mm-hmm. and you p- people flip the coins up in the air and you bet on whether it's going to be odds, evens, heads, tails or a mix. Mm-hmm. Very exciting game that is illegal in this country because of the ravaging of gambling that it led to. And Mm -hmm. this movie is like really tilts on that game Mm -hmm. and the fact that the guy gambles all his money on two up and loses it. It's crazy. I'd never seen it in a movie. I've barely seen it in real life because it's illegal.
0: It only is legal on one One day day of (laughs) the year. (laughs) Which is Anzac Day, the day that we honour the troops.
1: Lest we forget, if only we could remember to not be gambling.
0: Yeah, it's pretty brutal. And I think that this scene is phenomenal. This two-up sequence is truly absolutely fucking goes for so long too. it's so long and as well like thank god it's like the easiest like gambling to understand it's like fucking casino royale or some shit yeah, yeah. where I just gotta listen to the music to go okay so I guess he's losing or something yeah, yeah. find out what's going on it's just way. him being
1: like 200 on heads mm-hmm. and then you see it lands on tails and you're
0: like Oh, he lost. Yeah, he oh, fucked up. shit, he fucked up. And uh this is real. These are like real people that play two up. This is a real place in Sydney where people used to like underground play two up like this. Hmm. And um Ted would go to these it and looks like, like, like hang a out in
1: uh, like a cockfighting arena. It really does, cuz it's yeah. just one guy standing in the middle a of a little arena on
0: a mat. Everyone's it's standing around him
1: throwing notes of money
0: in. And, and these are all the real like Fuggos that used to go play two <laughs> up. Like, in the There's not a looker amongst them (laughs) Not at all These are like fucking like These are like bits of clay Left to oh, dry out of the sun Just playing the this game.
1: driest dicks in Sydney
0: Yeah We love them We love them That's the typical Aussie The ugliest <laughs> men in the world <laughs> That are all playing like this heinous Fucking gambling it's game It's the most basic gambling in the world It's literally the coins are put on a stick And mm-hmm. then flipped up in they the air They flip the stick They <laughs> land on the ground They go alright Everyone put your money down now Put it down now People and it's just like,
1: like scurrying around Grubbing their money <laughs> shit it's, it's the crazy. best
0: odds in the world it's like win or lose those are the two yeah, odds yeah that's
1: it it's uh very exciting I love that whole sequence
0: mm, incredible and I
1: mean it le- it's the inciting incident in the movie really mm. and it happens 40 minutes into it
0: and it's also like the <laughs> thematic image with like Donald Pleasant with those two up coins with yeah. the slices those X's, those X's in them in on them. his eyes yeah that's Ooh. fucking great shit. I think the nightmare dreamy stuff of this movie hinging on this imagery and hinging on like all the grotesquerie of this film And, like, the hope that he has to one day get back to Sydney to his girlfriend is just incredible surrealistic filmmaking.
1: Yeah. Hey, let's talk about reboots. Mm -hmm. So, it's total reboot time, baby. We've got the rights. Mm -hmm. Kenneth Cook, tragically, long since passed. But he left
0: a little something in his will for us. (laughs) (laughs) He left us the rights to his book At
1: the reading, at the will reading I'm sure the family are there They're excited, they're receiving what they're due And Mm -hmm. some wonderful tokens of his love But that lawyer or whatever the fuck it is At the end says And one final thing The rights to the book (laughs) Wake and Fright Are left to two podcasters That will be born in 40 years time
0: (laughs) Two little dipshits (laughs) will get the rights (laughs) to this (laughs)
1: So we get the rights to Wake and
0: Fry, Mm -hmm. we get to reboot it. What do you do? Well, there's already a TV miniseries remake directed by Chris (sighs) Stenders that came out like two years ago. I tried watching it today Mm, and I could not bear it. It feels so uncanny because it's just trying to translate it to a modern day world. So they're going like, yeah, we don't get much cell phone coverage around here, mate. And I get a little uh, cell phone lovely. stuff So it's it's
1: contemporary It's
0: contemporary And it feels like it's The entire existence of this Is just to make it contemporary So the message feels a bit mixed mm. I could barely make it through it But I would sh- I, 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 Do you want to get really shocked? Yeah. Do you know who plays Doc The Donald Pleasance role? Who? You would never guess You would absolutely <laughs> never guess I give you a hundred years You would never get it
1: Is it someone I know From it's TV and movies? It's someone you
0: love From TV and movies I love Yeah you love him
1: Is it David Wenham?
0: David Wenham plays the cop. He He's plays, in it. Yes, he well, plays. What was the, a lucky guess? He plays Chips Rafferty's role. The okay, cop.
1: so it's not. Uh, I can't even think of who it would be that would play Doc.
0: Yeah, think that then. Think who it wouldn't be, and you'll get it. You'll get closer. Um, who can you not imagine playing this role? Nick Gnosopoulos. Close. Alex Dimitriades. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Dimitriades plays Doc in this. What? Yeah.
1: What a crazy choice. Yeah, it's
0: a real weird choice.
1: That's ins- Having said that, I have seen him in something recently and he's really good.
0: Well, he's fantastic actor and he's yeah. good in this, but it's just such an odd choice that it makes me curious to keep on watching it.
1: Oh, wow. That's wild.
0: There's also another remake that I would give a shout-out to. Uh, Zara Newman uh, did a one-woman show of this. She's a black actor, and it kind of magnifies the otherness of it, and it played mm. at the Sydney Opera House last year, just before coronavirus lockdown. Yeah. I couldn't go, but I've seen the video of it, and it's pretty fucking amazing. It's
1: actually maybe the best way to remake this mm. is uh, to do it as a monologue. Yeah. Because I think like now, unless you're doing it set in the 70s, it doesn't quite mm. make sense, you know, like it's it's a bit of a dated theme, like, you know, but, but I think doing it as a monologue is interesting.
0: Playing been, every single character and it's a black woman doing yeah, it. Yeah, that's
1: that's that's what I'd want to watch. Yeah. That's a more exciting way to tell this story.
0: It's, it's amazing theatre, truly Hell amazing yeah. theatre.
1: Well, then fuck it. That's what I'm going to do with my producer rights. <laughs> I'm going to get a, uh, we're going to film it, film the one woman show version of mm. it for Netflix. Yeah. Like that Bo Burnham directed special oh, that's yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's it Yeah it's just so, No audience It's just all like in a room Yeah Different lighting states shit. Man we'll do We'll get Bo Burnham to direct it <laughs> yeah, he's, he's another it. He can do it we got to get someone from the outside <laughs> To come <laughs> in and tell this story
0: And we're just standing by as producers
1: Yeah I'm just, Honestly I'm in Video Village mm-hmm. I'm having a beautiful like. You're in another room Coffee I'm yeah. um, yeah, eating carte blanche. Can I
0: get some cronuts, please? I've yeah. been hearing about these cronuts for the last 15 years. Can I get one? <laughs> now that I'm in Hollywood, I want a freaking cronut. Where have you been hiding them the whole time? It's, okay, in our version, the only change
1: that I'll make is instead of beer, it's cronuts. <laughs> it's a guy that eats 100 cronuts in one
0: day and goes absolutely psycho. He goes psycho and kills some kangaroos. I'm sorry I ate 150 fucking cronuts today, dude. <laughs> 40 of them were filled with custard. (laughs) (laughs) I've lost my mind. (laughs) Wow. This is good stuff. Mm. This is good podcasting, I would say. I think it
1: is, yeah. I think it's officially good podcasting. I reckon that's it. That Mm. That was Wake and Fright.
0: Yeah, truly a magnificent masterpiece of Australian cinema. Well worth watching if you've never seen it before. But it is... An interesting kind of horror film. Do you know actually what movie I saw rewatch for the first time last year? First time, like, a decade. What? And it reminded me so much of Wake in Fright that I would be interested in seeing if there's a relationship between them is Zorba the Greek. Oh, really? Yes, because it's got the same kind of thing of, like, coming into an outsider coming into a world, not belonging there. And then, like, this, they're on this little island in Crete where things take a turn for, like, this mm. horrific, like different like really weird cultural way interesting yeah so i would interest to see if it's one of ted's like films that kind of brought him to it
1: uh for anyone else who isn't sure if they're gonna watch it like i was i'd say if you enjoyed the wicker man Mm. or deliverance watch it it's it's that type of film Mm. um and i really highly recommend it it's on stand if you're in australia and uh, i mean i'm sure you can easily find it anywhere the film was fucking lost for 40 years you can watch it everywhere
0: now. Yeah, now it exists everywhere. There's a great Blu-ray in Australia and a great Blu-ray in England from uh, Eureka that is well worth checking out.
1: So, yeah, that's Wake and Fright, guys.
0: And next week on the podcast, we're going to be discussing another Aussie psycho classic. We're going to be talking about Rolf de Heer's Bad Boy Bobby. Another film that I've never seen. I only saw it the first time a month ago. And I'll tell you guys now, it is truly a psychotic film. Mm. It mucked me up. And by the end of it, I was in tears weeping. I think it is truly one of the most mind blowing movies I've ever seen.
1: I'm excited to get into this.
0: Be keep in touch with us on social media. You're at I am Cameron James. Mm-hmm. I'm at This is Alexi. We'll be announcing what movies we're going to be doing on this miniseries on our shared Facebook and Twitter, which is Total Reboot Pod.
1: That's true. And if you want more from us, five bucks a month at patreon.com slash total reboot, we'll get you additional podcasts. Mm-hmm. We'll get you access to the cinephile registry, our exclusive group. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just basically just, you get to be safe in the knowledge knowing that we like you a little bit
0: more. Absolutely. <laughs> and until next time, whoo. <laughs>